Welcome back to the Magnum Rewatch Podcast. My name is Graham. And I'm Kathleen. And we are from Loading Ready Run, and we're here to take you into the world of Magnum P.I. Private Investigator for this episode, which is called All Roads Lead to Floyd. Which sounds like a wacky episode, it, and it kind of is. It kind of is. Uh, last week, I was feeling... It's no ugliest dog in Hawaii. No, that's thank true. God. Last week, I was feeling unwell, and apologies for that, but uh, this week, I'm doing just fine. Uh, however, Kathleen is unwell. That's right. We took that cold and passed it like a baton. As yeah. soon as Graham was feeling better, my immune system was like, oh, fantastic. Okay, well, we can't have two healthy hosts at once, so time to go. So if you hear any coughing or sniffles, apologies, but uh, that's just how it's going to be. We can't, it's not like we can take a week off. We've got eight seasons of Magnum to get through. I mean, we're still going to be doing this for the next five years of our life. Let's not prolong it, right? (laughs) Yeah. So before we get into the episode about Floyd and how all roads lead to him, you have something you wanted to share. Yeah, we got a really nice email from a listener called Dan. And I won't read you the whole email, but he said, I wanted to let you know how much I've been enjoying your Magnum Rewatch podcast. I'd never heard of a Rewatch show before, but I gave it a listen and it's been very enjoyable. More than I expected, which is the common feedback for the Magnum Rewatch podcast is, oh, this is better than I thought it would be. Uh, He's been enjoying the nostalgia and the 80s trivia we have been bringing up, but he does have some bad news for us. Being around in the 80s, Dan informs us that paranormal shows were definitely all the rage back then. And he also shares our distaste of the supernatural, but it just happens to be what they liked to write shows about in that decade. Also, he he uh, he did, he can't give us a firm date for Star 69 either, but he says he remembers it coming in in the 90s. So there you go. Like I said, yeah. Oh, also whiteboards, not commonplace until the 90s either. There we go. So every time we do a sketch that's set in a boardroom and we have to use a blackboard we'll just pretend that it's it's in the past in the past in the past when blackboards were completely de rigueur they were normal <laughs> yeah expected even thank you for that dan and so to the episode it opens with a really nice golf course oh a beautiful golf course with like views of the mountains just gorgeous uh, looks expensive filmed at the pali golf course hey pali Mm, don't know how it's pronounced, P-L-A-I. Anyway, it's in Hawaii, obviously. And an impossibly small car drives up to the main building and parks. Now, we've been seeing all series that this is is the early 80s. This is the land of massive cars. Yeah, there's K cars, there's big caddies. Everything is very angular and sharp. This is a a Japanese light automobile. It's actually uh, a Honda N600, if you're curious. I'm not familiar with the model. When did it come out? It was the first Honda automobile to be officially imported to the United States. Oh, wow. When was that? The N600 was made between 1967 and 1972, but it wasn't brought to the States until 1970. Okay. So this car is at least, I guess it's 81, it's at least nine years old. It looks really dated considering it's only nine years old. It's falling apart. They also make a point of having him park it next to this massive sedan. And who is he? Well, he is Floyd. We don't learn his name right away, but I'm going to tell you it's Floyd because it's easier to refer to him by his character's name. And apparently all roads lead to Floyd. Yeah, he's an old dude. He's getting out of his car. He's trying to look smart, but he like he lifts up his jacket and you can see that there's a hole through the pocket and he's like... Mm-hmm. His vents uh, are still sewn together. Oh yeah, our friend Ben watched this episode with us because they were uh, our friends Ben and Molly were visiting for the weekend and Ben was like... Rah! Ben cares very deeply about fashion. 
Uh, it was really funny, actually. But yeah. So what are those vents? Okay, so you know when you buy a jacket and like the two, the back flaps, the butt flaps are stitched up? Those are stitched up so they don't get wrecked during shipping. You have to take out that little like X stitch when you get the jacket so your your vents open up. Take that out. That's not supposed to be there. I've seen people walking around like that in Victoria, and I just want to like go up to them and like snip it. So, but some people don't know. So there's your fashion PSA for the week. You have to like take out that little uh, stitch that holds the vents of your jacket together. Floyd, by the way, played by Noah Beery Jr., an actor uh, specializing in warm, friendly characters. He's a character actor like many of the special guests in the series. He was also a regular on The Rockford Files, where, of course, Tom Selleck would have met D.P. Belisario. He played uh, Rockford's dad, actually, Joseph Rocky Rockford, father of Jim Rockford of The Rockford Files, in case you're all up to speed on Rockford nomenclature now. I'm not super up to date on the lingo and characters of The Rockford Files, but I appreciate that you're trying to educate me. Anyway, he seems like a very affable dude, and he wanders onto the golf course, is frisked by a couple of very large-looking Japanese men. Well, one of them it looks like a sumo wrestler, and the other looks like just sort of some general Yakuza muscle type. So he's got those great glasses that the villain in China Doll had, the very sort of like dated square massive, on top, round on the bottom. Yeah, massive lenses. And he is meeting Mr. Mizamura, who does not talk and communicates through the sumo-looking Japanese guy. Mm-hmm. And they have a deal. It's not clear what this deal is, but through the conversation, you know that something is being delivered to Mr. Mizamura by Floyd on Saturday. And he's getting 40 cents on the dollar, he thinks. Mizamura thinks that they agreed on 20. Floyd says, really? Was it 30? This is two con men talking to one another. Mizamura's guard says, 30? And to which Floyd says, great, and shakes his hand. And apparently he's now getting 30 cents on the dollar for whatever this is. And also asks for a $2,000 advance. Uh, He manages to get a $1,000 advance and then happily goes on his way. After which Mizumura says, in perfect English, I don't trust this man. Watch him. Yeah, tells his two assistants, his two hench dudes to follow him. Floyd is briefly distracted by the, the idea of stealing a very nice Cadillac that is parked next to him with the keys in the ignition, but he decides not to and drives off in his terrible Honda. Yeah, it's a really interesting little moment because he looks at the car and he's like, wow, this car is really nice. And he's, he's sizing it up before he even notices that the keys are in the ignition. Then he sees the keys are in the ignition. And he's like, oh, well, now I'm almost obliged to steal this car. And he's sort of looking around and there's no one there. And he's like, oh, I could totally get away with it. But no, 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 because if I do that, it's obviously going to screw up. Like, you can tell that he's like, I just had this meeting. This is going to undo attention. No, it's uh, okay. Today I'll be good. I will have the diet soda today. Yes. Right? Like, <laughs> it's very much the sort of like, I'm so good because I'm not stealing a car. I'm only going to do one crime at a time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I think in case it wasn't painfully obvious, they're talking about illegal stuff in the initial meeting between Floyd and Mizumura. Well, it could be perfectly legal, but why would you have to frisk this guy? And, and why would you only get 30 cents course? on the dollar? Yeah. What's, I mean, yeah, so it's illegal. I mean, yeah. So they're just making, they're just driving that hammer home. You know, hey, look, this guy is involved in, le- in not legal stuff and so he drives away and the other two dudes are tailing him in a sedan and who passes them on the road but a ferrari being driven by a magnum with tc in the passenger seat this would be the point in the episode where you would cut to the scene with magnum to be like by the way remember who's actually in the show 
Yeah, remember whose show this actually is. This isn't Floyd P.I. This is Magnum P.I. Well, because every episode starts with sort of like a setup, usually never involving the regular cast, and then cuts to it. But I like that in this one, instead of cutting to a different scene, it's just Magnum sort of appears in the same scene, but not relating to those characters. He's just like, oh, look, there's Magnum driving by. Mm -hmm. TC is real happy that he just won tennis. He just beat Magnum at uh, at tennis. Magnum's like, well, I, I, I could have beaten you if we'd played more games, but I have to go pick up a client at the airport. So, you know, if we didn't have more time and TC's like, no, 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 this is, you are full of crap. You only invite me to play tennis when Higgins is out of town. As established in earlier episodes, Higgins does not let Magnum have access to the tennis courts. Correct. They're driving along. They pass the two probable criminals and they're now between floyd's car and their car floyd basically oblivious pumps his brakes magnum has to slam on his brakes and robin's ferrari gets rear-ended by a little old lady driving a massive mercedes and floyd's car drives away and the yeah without a care in the world yeah and the gangsters follow him and like they don't care about Magnum, whatever. So they're they're no longer in the scene. The scene that follows is weird. Really long. It's really long for what it is. It's Magnum talking to the little old lady who rear-ended him and basically being guilted into not holding her remotely responsible. But here's the deal. She doesn't have insurance because she's old and her stu- her husband, her Stanley, is in the hospital. and In the care home. In the care home. Because all she- her money goes to Stanley now. And she had to choose between the insurance and him, and she was going to see him, and, you know, she said, oh, well, also I'd pick up her food stamps, and Magnum is just like, uh. And as we have established before in previous episodes, Magnum is a sucker for women, right? Little old ladies, young, hot women, middle-aged women, children, like girls. Like, it doesn't matter if you are a girl and you have some sort of sob story. He's, like, practically feels obligated to help you. And... I guess we'll spoil this now. There is no payoff for this. The This is a setup for friction between Magnum and Higgins surrounding the Ferrari, but there's no actual payoff for the little old lady. Because we were like, well, Floyd is sort of like a con man kind of guy, and maybe this is all like some sort of big multiple blind thing, and they involved Magnum intentionally. No. Nope. He just None gets rear-ended by, by an old lady with some arthritis in her leg that makes it her slow to react when she's driving. And uh, all of that stuff. When Magnum gets back in the Ferrari, TC's like, oh, make sure to get her number. I think I might have whiplash. And Magnum's like, one, you don't have whiplash because you couldn't be doing what you're doing with your neck right now if you did. And two, I don't have her insurance number because Stanley's in the care home. TC is a long-suffering friend. And in this case, literally suffering. They drive off and we are treated to a small... Weird scene with Floyd where he drives up to a payphone, still being watched by the two gangsters, and makes two phone calls. One, to someone to arrange a meeting with them on Sunday. He says, I'm finally, I'll meet with you for sure. And they don't believe him. And he's like, no, no, I'll prob- I promise I'll meet with you this time, Sunday. Let's do it. And the guys on the phone are like, okay, let's do that. Then he phones Pan Am Airlines and confirms a reservation for Saturday. So on Saturday, he's going to deliver something to Mr. Mizumura and presumably leave the islands, and then someone else thinks that they're going to meet on the Sunday. It's a little unclear as to what's happening. This episode's perhaps not the most tightly written episode we've ever seen of Magnum P.I., let's be honest here. Yeah. Magnum pulls up at the airport to pick up his client. His client's name is Cindy, and she has a job for him to find her dad. Well, she actually says, find my daddy. Daddy. Daddy, which also, I was like, oh dear. 
What kind of issues do you have? And Cindy is from Kansas, and she shows up wearing, like, a really kind of awful-looking matching vest and, like, uh, mid-calf skirt combo. It's very of the era, but it's not particularly flattering, but she's a, a pretty person otherwise. I think my notes at this point say, Cindy is laying it on thick, but I think it's just her personality, right? Yeah, it turns out that she's just real bubbly and emotionally fraught. Yeah. Because when Magnum says that a postcard, which is the only information that she has, might not be enough to find her dad, she just bursts into tears. She is like a high-frequency person. She's up, she's down, she's left. Oh, my goodness. She seems very nice. I don't think I could hang out with Cindy in real life because I'd be like, you have so many emotions. There are too many for me. The actress playing Cindy, by the way, Anne Bloom, best known for two long-running TV appearances, one more long-running than the other, uh, in Parker Lewis Can't Lose, that that old chestnut, uh, she played Mrs. Lewis, which, again, that that show only ran for a season, but on Not Necessarily the News, a TV series that ran from 1982 to 1990, she played Frosty Kimmelman on 60 episodes of Not Necessarily the News. So she's had a a lengthy career in television, and Parker Lewis Can't Lose, sort of known, because it was a Nickelodeon show, correct? It was like a teen show. It actually ran on Fox, and pardon me, it ran for three seasons. So she was only on it for a season, but it ran for three seasons. But it was like a kid's show, right? I'm not hallucinating this. I have friends who liked this show when they were younger. Sort of, yeah. It was it was kind of positioned as like a TV series version of Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It was like this just really charismatic teenage guy for whom everything goes great. Because he's Parker Lewis. What a classic. Anyway... Anne Bloom is really, really playing it up in this one with uh, Cindy Llewellyn. She is getting all of the scenery and putting it in her mouth. Yeah. Magnum eventually is like, okay, okay, okay. Well, the the postcard's not nothing. Calm down. We'll make this happen. And she brightens up and is like, oh, great. Yeah, it's it's like 180. Anyhow, like I said, too many emotions. I forgot to mention my favorite part of the scene with the old lady. Oh, right. She says to Magnum, I'm really sorry about the bumper on the car. Can you apologize to whoever owns it for me? Which is a fantastic callback to the running gag that nobody believes that Magnum owns the Fer- or Magnum should be driving this Ferrari. If you remember, uh, the valet at the King Kamehameha Club laughed at Magnum. The valet at Rick's Cafe Americano laughed at Magnum. The random guy who was like waiting outside the uh, the the shirt shop. People who've never met him. Yeah. People who've met him. That's just sort of like oh ha ha. People who've never met him not believing that he owns the Ferrari is the best. Yeah. Especially this little old lady, completely innocently, is just like, can you tell whoever owns it how sorry I am? Just just like the daggers. Oh, Magnus. <sighs> Which actually makes it even funnier when, in this scene, leaving the airport, Cindy makes a beeline for the Ferrari, indicating it as Magnum's car, and him saying, how did you know this was my car? And she says, well, what, what else would someone like you drive? And Magnum is so pleased, he does what we expected to do at this point. He looks square at the camera and mugs to it. And the camera even zooms in to get a better shot of his face. Like, it starts out wide, and it comes in, not, like, tight, but, like, much closer to Magnum's face. You can get a full look at that self-aware glance at the camera. Speaking of awareness, I think that tells you all you need to know about Cindy. If people who've never met Magnum before don't believe that he owns this car, and she's like, well, obviously this is your car, then maybe not the brightest bulb? She's got a weird kind of intelligence. Yeah. Now, the next scene is interesting, because in the next scene, we see a guy with a cigar 
go into the airport bathroom. And if you've been paying close attention to the scenes previous, you'll see this guy with the cigar got off the same plane as Cindy and was picking up his baggage at the same luggage carousel as Cindy. And he is just shown as like a big, rough kind of dude who's just like knocking into people and has no manners. Yeah, it wasn't like subtle, but I thought it was neat that he was in those other shots of Magnum and Cindy at the airport. Like the first one was pretty subtle. It was just sort of panning across a group of other people establishing that these are the people getting off the plane and he's there and then you pan over to Cindy. And then later they're at the baggage carousel and he is reaching for his bag across Magnum who's reaching for Cindy's bag. And that's much less subtle. But I just like that it's like he's there and he's also there and then now we're seeing him again. And he's going into the airport bathroom where he pulls a gun out of his luggage. Do we have a account for like... It was a different time. It was a different time then. Uh... You know what? I'm sure we could uh, get one going retroactively. He also the... was walking off the plane smoking a massive cigar. Like, they had smoking sections on planes, right? Like, mm-hmm. he might have had to stub it out for the landing. But back in the 1980s, and I can back this up as true because I, uh, my family immigrated to Canada in 1989, they had smoking sections on planes because they believed that the, uh, that the smoke would just stay in the smoking section of the plane. Actually, I don't think they believed that at all. But it didn't work, I can tell you that, because I remember flying from New Zealand to Los Angeles. I guess it was from Hawaii to Los Angeles in a plane with a smoking section, Graham. That sounds miserable. It was, I hated it. I was not a happy child. Anyhow, they had smoking sections. It was a different time. Different time count for this episode, one. Self-aware, look at the camera count for this episode, one. This character, by the way, his name is Bull. Do we ever find out his last name? Uh, Radney. I, do they ever mention that his name is Bull Radney? I think they when they introduce him later at the the weird party. Oh yeah, yeah. I, in my head, I had filled in Bull Turgeson. <laughs> Bull Turgeson. That's of course a reference to Doctor Strange Love, played by Red West. What a great name! Yeah, Red West. He looks like his name actually. Close high school friend of Elvis Presley. Really? Yeah. worked worked for him for a while. Was then fired and helped write the book Elvis. Colon, what happened, which was published weeks before Elvis's death. Best known to cinema fans as Red in Roadhouse. Really? Yep. I love Roadhouse. I haven't seen that movie in about 15 years, but no, I might go back and watch it. Like most of the guest stars on Magnum, he has the same sort of resume of similar television shows of the era, The Twilight Zone, The A-Team, Knight Rider, Six Million Dollar Man, recurring uncredited appearances on the Wild Wild West. He was also in I Still Know What You Did Last Summer. And I think the best intersection of most recent and most well-known project was he had a recurring role in The Riches. Like Eddie Izzard, Mini Driver? Yeah. How's that for for trivia? Yeah. Anyway. Can we just refer to his character as Bull Turgidson for the rest of this podcast? Yes. For my own headcanon? Yes, we absolutely can. Fantastic. And he's opening his suitcase. Sorry, back to the episode. He's opening his suitcase, and there's the gun that we mentioned. And the only other thing that you can really see in his suitcase, apart from clothing, is a brochure for a Hawaii tour company with a picture of Floyd. Oh, no, this man's out to get Floyd. I guess all roads do lead to Floyd. We cut back to the King Kamehameha Club, where Rick has just got off the phone with a buddy of his who can fix the bumper on the Ferrari for the low, low price of $2,700. Yeah. That is high by today's standards. Well, as Rick says, they have to import this stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's like, I totally buy that a Ferrari bumper is that expensive, but that is like not 
good for Magnum because let's be honest, at this point in the series, it's been well established that Magnum does not have a lot of money when he's sort of between cases. And even while he's on a case, where is he possibly going to get $2,700? But he doesn't really have a choice because as we know from a previous episode, Magnum's on the hook for these repairs. So... Well, I mean, it could go on Robin Master's insurance, but that means he would have to tell Higgins, and he does not want to do that. Correct. So he's just got to suck it up and figure out how to do this. And Cindy is also there. Maybe that's a way that he can get some money for this. There's that case that he has to do. All right, let's talk to Cindy. Let's figure out the case. But first, Rick offers Cindy a drink, you know, like uh, uh, Shirley Temple or some orange juice, or I don't know, if you feel like drinking, maybe like a pina colada. And she's like, yeah, bourbon, neat. It's so unexpected. Yeah, and Magnum and Rick are like, what? Uh-huh. And Magnum is like, I'll I'll have a Shirley Temple, please. Yeah. So we find out a little more about Floyd. He left Cindy and her mother 10 years prior. She has a picture of them when she was 16, so she's 26, because you can do basic math. And he was always a bit of a rogue, she said. That's an understatement. Yeah. Given from what we've already seen of Floyd. Yeah. And she doesn't know why he did this, but she's sure that he had a good reason. Even though her mom hates him. Yes. But now that she has this postcard, she knows that at least he's alive, and she wants to meet him and find out why he left. So Magnum finally gets a good look at this postcard, and all that the information is on there is that it says Timeway Travel in the top left-hand corner. So that's their lead. So we cut to Timeway Travel. We'll be going on the tour in just a moment, folks, and enjoy your free cocktail in the meantime. And we pull the camera back, and obviously, who else would be there already but... Bull Turgidson. Exactly. It's not Magnum. Bull is there already. Well, because you now you realize that, it, that the flyer he had also says timeway travel. He's standing there with a lay and his cigar and arguing with the waiter that the other dude just said he gets a free cocktail. And the waiter's like, yes, sir, from these cocktails on this list, and you ordered a beer and a shot, and that's two separate drinks, and it's $3.50. Which, by the way, is a good deal for a beer and a shot. And Bull basically intimidates this guy into leaving him alone by going, Now look, son, where I come from, a beer and a shot is one drink. Which, by the way, what? I, I Well, I mean, I guess what that technically is is a boilermaker, but that's not something you order lightly. That's not an afternoon sipping drink. Who gets a boilermaker just because? In the middle of the day at like a luau. Like, yeah. what, like, what do you want? A uh, Boilermaker, please. Yeah, in my what? experience, Boilermakers are only ordered by people looking to get fucking wrecked. <laughs> and I apologize for dropping an F-bomb there, but there's no other uh, there's no other category of time where a Boilermaker is appropriate. So Bull goes over and talks to the tour guide and says, Hey, um, I thought uh, this guy was going to be delivering the tour. The guy on my picture here. And the tour guide says, Oh, that guy, Floyd. No, no, he doesn't work here anymore. Bull says, Well, where is he? And Floyd says, well, I don't know. You'll have to ask someone else. I I don't actually know where he's at now. So let's go ask someone else. Let's ask the secretary at Timeway Travel. She would know. And so we see Magnum asking the secretary at Timeway Travel. And the secretary and Magnum flirt a little bit. Magnum tells her he's a representative from Sexy Travel. That's named after our founder, of course, Mr. Sexy. His name is spelled S-E-X-X-Y. But of course, that doesn't hurt with the singles. The cover he's using is that he works for Sexy Tours and that Floyd applied at their branch office with a very good resume. And so he's trying to find him. And she's like, oh, I don't know if that resume, how good is his resume? It's probably not legit. 
But she does say that they had to forward his last paycheck for timeway travel to his new job, Oahu Greeters. Yeah. And she does say that she had her, that they had to cut Floyd loose because he wasn't bondable, which isn't really much of a surprise, considering we have seen him commit, like, at least one crime during this. Following the lead, we then go to Oahu Greeters, where Bull is already there talking to the owner. This is a really cool, this is probably my favorite part of the episode, actually, this whole montage where they're following the leads, because every time it cuts to the next lead, it alternates between Magnum and Bull looking for him. And I, I just think it's it's really neat and well handled. Yeah, I mean, it accelerates the whole process, but also shows you the whole investigation, which is nice. And so unfortunately, at Oahu Greeters, we find out that Floyd has skipped out and owes the guy 85 bucks, which is a not insignificant sum of money in 1981 dollars. Oahu Greeters, by the way, will meet your mom at the airport with a lay and some flowers and sing her a song and then have a fruit basket waiting for her at her hotel. It's like a welcome wagon, basically. Out of the kindness of his heart, Bull offers to pay the guy at Oahu Greeters what Floyd owes him because he owes Floyd the money anyway, so he'll do it this way and then that'll take care of his debt. Yeah, we're sure that's really why Bull is trying to find Floyd with a gun just because he owes him some money. Never trust a man named Turgidson, am I right? (laughs) Sure. So using that as leverage, he manages to get a little more information out of the manager of Oahu Greeters that Floyd left that job and worked at some sort of hotel where we then cut to and find Magnum talking to a waitress at that hotel. The waitress is actually very helpful and says that Floyd uh, used to work there, but he got fired because he was skimming money off the top. To which Magnum says he was embezzling, and then the waitress goes, oh, you make it sound so serious. Yeah, this waitress seems like a bit of an airhead. Well, clearly, when you hear about what she's into, which she also introduced Floyd to, the gift exchange game. What's the gift exchange game, says Magnum. And she says, oh, well, it's great. You just bring $1,000, and then the next person gives you $1,000. It goes up to $50,000. So the more people you bring in, the more money you get. Well, it's actually, you you put in 1000 and then later... At time indetermined, you get a gift worth $50,000. And Magnum's like, you mean it's a pyramid scheme? And she's like, no. I could introduce you. And Magnum's like, that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. No. Because Magnum is not stupid. Yeah, you get bonuses for bringing in extra members. Mm. She also des- she also describes it as an alternative energy source. I don't know what the hell she means by that. I feel like she might be on some drugs. That's That seems likely. Anyhow, this gets described... Sydney is like, oh, that sounds neat. And Magnum's like, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> but they do go to the party. Magnum does not go at the behest of this waitress who wanted to introduce him for her bonus. But they do go to the party where there's another new guest. Who is being introduced by that waitress. It's Bull. Bull Turgidson. Yeah. High roller. And he's being surrounded by lovely ladies who are fawning over him in a way that makes me extremely suspicious. Yeah, this looks like a party at the Playboy Mansion. I feel like there's a lot of people here trying to scam suckers out of their money. Cindy goes to the bathroom. Floyd shows up to talk to the waitress that Magnum was talking to earlier. Maybe this is why he wanted $1,000. Because he looks at the $1,000 that he got from Mr. Mizumura. And maybe he's like, yeah, I can buy into this. Although, I don't know about, like, I think Floyd's might be smarter than that. But he does show up at this party. He probably thinks he can fleece these people. I mean, that's probably likely. He shows up. Vicky, the waitress, says, oh, hey, Floyd. Magnum goes, Floyd Llewellyn? 
Bull, on the other side of the pool, goes, Floyd, pulls his gun out, pushes four different women into the pool to get around it as Floyd books it from the place with Magnum and then Bull chasing him. Yeah, Magnum is yelling, Floyd, Floyd, come back. Bull is just shooting. They get out onto the street. Floyd runs into his tiny car and starts trying to get away. Magnum's trying to slow him down, saying that he doesn't mean him any harm. Meanwhile, the two Japanese gangsters are still there, and they start shooting at Bull because Bull is shooting at Floyd. It's all messy. Bull does manage to shoot the tires of the Japanese gangster's car. So they can't tail him anymore. And Magnum manages to get into Floyd's tiny car as they're driving away. At which point, Magnum also realizes that Floyd is the guy who caused his accident. They end up in downtown Honolulu. Magnum is trying to convince Floyd that he wants to help him and that he's been hired by his daughter. And he's like, no, that's my daughter is in Kansas. You're full of crap. And they reach some traffic gridlock. Floyd gets out of the car and just runs away on foot, just disappears into traffic. And Magnum's like, well, now I'm here with this Honda N600. Yeah, Magnum's door sticks, and by the time he can actually get out, Floyd is just gone. So Magnum's like, well, I have this car, so... Which is good, because the Ferrari's at the shop. So he drives, he just takes Floyd's N600 and drives back to where the party was, so he can pick up Cindy. The place is now swarming with police, by the way. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. The Japanese gangsters got away, but the police are questioning everybody. Oh, so did Bull, obviously. But the police are questioning everybody, so Magnum just sort of grabs Cindy and they leave. Yeah, Cindy is, like, talking to the cop, and she's like, well, I was in the bathroom, so I guess I didn't really see any of the action. And Magnum's like, oh. Magnum goes to take Cindy to to Robin's Nest, but on the way, Cindy's like, you told my daddy that I was trying to find him and he still ran away? Maybe he doesn't love me after all. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Magnum's like, no, Cindy, he ran away because people were shooting at him. You need to have some perspective, for God's sake. And then they get back to Robin's Nest. They go inside the main house. Oh, because Magnum doesn't know that Higgins is back. Spoiler, Higgins Higgins is is back. back. (laughs) And Cindy somehow manages to immediately spill the beans that Magnum's Ferrari got rear-ended. Well, that Robin Masters' Ferrari got rear-ended. And that whole thing comes tumbling out. And Magnum's like, it was my fault. It got hit from behind. So it's totally not my fault at all. And Higgins is like, well, if it hadn't been for you... The Ferrari would have been here in the driveway where it belongs, so it's entirely your fault. Luckily, this will go on the other driver's insurance because you got hit from behind. And Magnum's like, yeah, about that. And Higgins is pretty furious. Higgins is like apoplectic. He's like, you got hit by an uninsured driver? And Magnum's like, well, not on purpose. Yeah, <laughs> unintentionally. Yeah, I mean, it's fair, right? Now, hey, here's a fun trivia fact. You're not allowed to drive without insurance in British Columbia. In fact, you're not allowed to drive without insurance in many places in North America. I can't speak for every district, but that would not happen in BC because everybody has to have insurance before a car can go on the road. So there you go. The cruel people in British Columbia would have made that little old lady choose between her Stanley and the insurance. She would have had to have just gone without a car entirely, not been able to pick up her food stamps. Oh, no. I bet you need insurance now in Hawaii. I can't find information from 1981, but you definitely need that now in Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah. You probably did then too, but Magnum was not so lucky. So this week's Magnum Higgins deal Uh. is that if Magnum cannot pay the $2,700, then Magnum loses Ferrari privileges. Forever. And Uh Higgins is pretty confident that Magnum can't pay $2,700. After that wonderful breakthrough moment we had last week, it's all gone. We're back to square one. I think Higgins enjoys it. Oh, yeah. Gives Higgins something to do. Gives him purpose. 
He wakes up mad. Makes him feel alive. When Magnum wakes up the next morning, Zeus and Apollo deliver two notes to him outside the door. They're both holding them in their mouth, and he has to, like, just sneak his hand through the door just enough to get the notes without letting the dogs in. One note is from Cindy, who said that she's decided to join Higgins to go out for the afternoon. And the other note is from Higgins, who's real angry. (laughs) Yeah. We were watching this, and Magnum's like, I got two notes. One was from Cindy. And it tells me how great I was for working on the case. And then me and Graham say almost in unison, the other one was from Higgins. We Which were correct. is correct. So Magnum takes the N600 to the King Kamehameha Club, where instead of being greeted by a King K Club valet, he is greeted by Mr. Mizumura's muscle. Sumo and Shades. Those are their names from now on. I like it. Who have decided that Magnum has a lunch date with Mr. Mizumura. So they go inside. Mr. Mizumura explains that because Magnum is driving his car and fled the scene of the party with him, that obviously he knows where Floyd is, which, of course, he does not. Magnum doesn't say necessarily yay or nay to that, though. No, Magnum doesn't say much of anything, but Mizumura makes it clear that he and Floyd have an arrangement and Magnum says, what kind of arrangement? Mizumura does not clarify that, so which Magnum's like, okay, an illegal arrangement, good, good. And that it's very important to Mizumura that Floyd make it there. And that he be unharmed. And Mizumura says that because he is a businessman, if Floyd makes it there successfully, then Mizumura will give Magnum a reward. And if he does not, then Muscle and Shades will give Magnum a reward. Graham, please, Sumo and Shades. Sumo and Shades. I'm so sorry. I don't think the reward is like a high five. Probably not. No, I think it's considerably more vigorous and prolonged. More of a closed fist kind of thing. Yeah. So Magnum goes to see Cindy, who is sitting out at the King Kamehameha Club. And she is sort of, well, Rick is trying unsuccessfully to flirt with her. And she seems largely oblivious to the whole thing. But Magnum is actually wanting to talk to Rick about a note. Because when Magnum gets to the car with Floyd, Floyd's like, did Burnside send you? And so Magnum's like, Burnside? Who is Burnside? And he has Rick look up all of the Burnsides in Hawaii. So Rick is back to being like the source of information for Magnum, right? I was, I was actually trying to look, up, look this up on TV Tropes, and I'm sure one of you will be able to pinpoint this specifically, because he's not a Mr. Exposition, because he doesn't go like, this is all the stuff, Magnum, this is how everything goes. He's able to connect dots for Magnum so that Magnum can then continue the plot himself. Yeah, exactly. Basically, he allows the writers to skip a bunch of time where Magnum would have to like look through a phone book. And so we cut to Magnum driving, again, the Honda N600, saying, Rick had found me the location of seven people on the island named Burnside, but I knew that this one would be the right one because I already tried the other six. Which is a nice nod to actual detective work. I enjoyed that. So he pulls up and he says, hi, do you know a Floyd Llewellyn? And the guy's immediately like, ugh. The guy's like, you need to come inside. So they start talking about Floyd. And this guy works for... Witness protection. Turns out Floyd is in witness protection, and he doesn't want to check in with Burnside, and Burnside's always getting him out of random scrapes and troubles because he's always scamming people and conning people. He tells Magnum that Floyd is a con artist. You know, basically, he's always in trouble, and he's got to get him back to the mainland so he can testify at a trial. And you're like, oh, maybe this is who he was calling and saying, yes, I will meet you on Sunday, finally, yes. And again, without giving too much away, because Magnum's really good about never giving much information out, they sort of come to an agreement that if Magnum finds something out, he'll tell Burnside, and if Burnside finds something out, he'll tell Magnum, and 
you know, cool, Magnum goes on his way. And guess who else was at Burnside's house hiding around the corner? Paul Turgidson. Who says, well, now we just have to follow Magnum. As he polishes his gun. Yep. Subtle. The one relevant piece of info that Magnum does manage to get out of Burnside, apart from all the witness protection stuff, is that Floyd was originally caught on a counterfeit racket. And that makes Magnum have pause for a moment. So then we cut to timeway travel. Remember timeway travel? It was the first link in the Finding Floyd chain. Mm-hmm. And it's night and he disables their alarm system. Floyd, sorry, is disabling their alarm system and breaking into timeway travel after hours, cracking their safe and stealing a bunch of airline tickets. He also steals a validation machine, like a credit card slip. And this I had to look up. How did you buy plane tickets in the 80s? Okay, how do we buy plane tickets today? You go online to, you know, a site like Expedia or Kayak. You compare prices, you pick the cheapest one, and that's how you get a plane ticket. And then you, you know, have your electronic record and you print them out at the airport. Pretty straightforward. In the 80s, that is not how you got plane tickets. It was considerably less convenient. If you wanted to buy a plane ticket, you would have to call every airline individually to compare their prices, or you would go to a travel agent where they would try to sell you some plane tickets, but they had an interest in selling you certain, you know, airlines and stuff like that. And you didn't just then pick up your tickets at the airport. The airline, the travel agent would actually sell you the ticket there and validate it for you. So then you had the tickets on you immediately and you had to hold on to them. Right? Like, this was a very, this is an old-fashioned process. There's no electronic records of your tickets. Or you could choose to have your tickets mailed to your home, because then they would send a letter back to the airline company, right? And then the airline company would mail you your tickets. But you could just, like, if you wanted to get an airline ticket, you had to bring a bunch of cash to a travel agent and buy your tickets in person. I guess you could also buy them at the airport, but not if you wanted them in advance. No, not if, and not if you cared about... You know, when and where you were going. Yeah. Nowadays, you can't buy your airline tickets at the airport. In fact, I had a friend who got misbooked on a flight for like a month out from when the other two people on the flight uh, were supposed to be flying. And she was like, can I just buy a ticket for their flight? And she's like, oh, no, I can't sell you a ticket here at the airport. Not at the airline desk. You have to call a 1-800 number. So who should interrupt Floyd from cracking open this safe? But Magnum and Cindy. That's right. Because Magnum figured out that with the counterfeiting thing, what could he possibly have had that Mr. Mizumura would want? Non-validated airline tickets. So then he could forge the validation, get 30 cents on the dollar for them, and Mizumura gets away with a huge stash of black market tickets that he can resell for a lot of money. It's a good gig. It is a good gig. And the thing is, it's almost untraceable aside from the actual theft from the safe because there is no tracking or anything like that. You know, there's no credit cards or anything associated with these tickets. Once they're out in the wild, they're gone. Magnum tries to pitch Floyd on doing the right thing here, which is just putting the tickets back because then Burnside, his witness protection officer, will never know. And Floyd says, but Burnside is the whole reason I have to do this because he said he was going to give me a new life and has barely given me enough money to do anything. And they, he's, he's in witness protection under his real name because Burnside thought it would work that no one would suspect that he was using his real name because he previously had an assumed name. But then he'd gotten into legal trouble under the assumed name and had to get a different, you know, so it's kind of half of his fault, half of Burnside's. So Magda was like, well, come on. No, you have to go to Burnside because you've got to testify at a trial in like two weeks. And Floyd's like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. Magnum's like, huh? What exactly are you in witness protection for anyhow then? He testified 
against the Klan. The KKK. I feel like I don't need to give people trivia about the Ku Klux Klan, but they're a bunch of horrible American racists. White hoods, burning crosses. That whole thing. Horrible, horrible people. So he testified against the Klan, and then they put him in witness protection in Hawaii, and he could have taken his wife and daughter with him into witness protection, but didn't because he knew that his wife would be able to provide Cindy with a better life anyway, and, and also their marriage knew, wasn't going that well. Yeah, he knew he wasn't going to, he knew it wasn't going to work out, he was just going to end up leaving her. That's not an excuse. Right? That's still jerky. Do you want to hear something neat about the KKK and the witness protection program? I, yes. All right, so the United States Witness Protection Program was actually established in 1970. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't have witness protection before 1970, that it was just handled under a different act. It was actually handled under the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871 to protect people testifying against members of the Ku Klux Klan. So there you go. The, the Klan and their horrible crimes, because they are the worst people in the world. I mean, I guess maybe Nazis... Uh, like, well, we've uh, had them. We haven't had the clan yet in Madden. Yeah, I mean, like if I had to write, if I had to write like all of Earth history, like the large collection of douchebags that humanity has produced, I well, don't know if I could really rate them. Well, you know, we don't. In a top we don't. 10. We don't know what motivated like Velociraptors. I feel like they just wanted to eat. We don't know that. Anyhow, the clan <laughs> are horrible, and so before 1970, uh, if you were like a gangster informant or you'd like. Done any kind of like turn on a crime boss or something like that. There was no formal witness protection program. You'd be protected under the Klan Act. So that should give you an idea of how dangerous the Klan were. That in 1871 they had to put in something. So if you would like rat them out for their horrible crimes, you would be protected. So witness protection in the U.S. seriously started because of the KKK. Absolutely. That's so weird. Yeah, they're terrible. Well, guess who shows up? Is it Bull Turgeson? It's Bull Turgeson and Burnside, both of whom have guns and are upset with Floyd because he betrayed the Brotherhood. The Klan. They're both Klan members. Oh, my goodness. Why? I don't understand why Burnside... Maybe that's why his witness protection is super incompetent, because the Klan's out to get him. I guess. I mean, it's been going on for 10 years. The Klan is almost a completely extinct now. Yay. In the 80s, they were not as extinct. You have to remember, the Klan had a powerful hold on, you know, various parts of the South and stuff like that. And they don't even want to kill him. They want to take him back to face Klan punishment. Which is probably being lynched. I guess. I don't know. Do they do that to white people? I don't know. I don't know anything about the Klan. I don't know what that means. I'd rather not. Uh, The Klan are terrible. They'd probably do something horrible to him. Anyhow, that's bad. Floyd says, wait, wait, wait. Can you leave Magnum and Cindy out of this and just take me? And Burnside's like, yeah, we can probably arrange that. And Cindy, who's actually quite sharp in this particular instance, is like, they're lying. They're just going to kill both of us, which is probably true. I mean, maybe Cindy has experience with the clan, too. Maybe. So they go at the back door, and who should be waiting outside but Mr. Mizumura with Sumo and Shades. Who They've probably also been following Magnum. Like, let's be honest here, right? They also have guns. Uh-oh. And Magnum's like, oh, this is bad. So he really, I Magnum is like, this is bad. And I'm like, ooh, one problem solves another. Yeah. So he smashes the fire alarm and reverses into Bull, making Bull fire in the air 
making Mizumura's men open fire and leading to just a big old scrap. Yeah. Lots of punches. Yeah, Cindy jumps on Burnside. Bull and Magnum are fighting. Somebody's going after Floyd. It's all crazy, but then the cops show up. And then everything was fine? Yeah, then the whole rest of it just gets hand-waved away. We explained to the police what happened, and they believed us. I can't believe that there's going to be no fallout for Magnum from Mr. Mizumura. Does he come back ever at all? Does the character come back? No. The actor, by the way, for Mr. Mizumura, I should have mentioned this earlier, Seth Sakai, he has a great look. I was sure that he would have been in like a billion different things. Not really that many, to be honest. He's in six different episodes of Magnum, uh, always as a different character. Boo. And he's in 23 episodes of Hawaii Five O, always as a different character. <laughs> I don't know how they managed... Asian-American character actor. Yeah. He was in Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor as Japanese tourist. Ooh. So that's something. I feel like even Mizumura knows this isn't really Magnum's fault. I guess. Still, it's a little weird. Anyway, yeah, so the cops deal with everything and everything is fine. Yeah, Mizumura and his men get arrested. Bull uh, and Burnside get arrested. For being clan members. They let Floyd off because... He was supposed to be in witness protection, but he was being set up by a clan member. In the government. Yeah. So, yeah, it all sort of works. Yeah, Magnum even says, I guess the, they were they were a little bit more interested in catching Burnside and Bulls than they were the dealing with you, Floyd. Yeah. The only problem now is that Floyd and Cindy are going to be leaving... And taking the cute little Honda N600 with them. Cute's an interesting descriptor for it. I wouldn't well, call it cute. It's small. And Magnum doesn't have a car. But Rick pulls up in the Ferrari, all nice and fixed. And because Rick is a nice guy and he's friends with the mechanic, he got 200 bucks off. It's only $2,500. I mean, that's pretty decent. Unfortunately, that's still not Magnum kind of money. <laughs> no, it is not. Poor Magnum. But and then, Higgins is overjoyed. Because, of course, they made an agreement that if Magnum can't pay right then, then he doesn't get to use the Ferrari anymore. So then Cindy says, well, I'll pay for it. And, and Magnum's like, like, what? what? And she pulls out just this giant wad of cash. And they're like, what What happened? And she's like, well, when I went to the bathroom at the gift exchange party, there was like a crap game in the bathroom. And she took people to town. Yeah, Sydney seems all very innocent and sweet, but she's definitely... She's got a lot of her dad in her. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah, so she's just got this massive pile of cash that she fleeced out of people at the gift exchange party. Well, good for her. Magnum gets his debt repaid, gets the keys. Everything works out. End of the episode. Hooray! He doesn't put on Groucho Marx glasses this time. I mean, that's for the best. Mm-hmm. Is it implied that Magnum and Cindy hook up? I don't think so. What I was actually really, what I actually really like about Magnum is it's not implied that he hooks up with a lot of people. He likes women and he thinks they're cute, and like you know, he totally goes after some women, but he doesn't use the emotional vulnerability of his clients mm-hmm. to get laid. Yeah, he could just call a Wahoo greeters and they could send a lay to him. Womp womp. What do you what do you rank this one? I'd say this one's a seven. Yeah, it was all right. It was fine. It was it was fine. I like the montage thing. It wasn't egregiously bad. I honestly, the plot was kind of difficult to follow. You're sort of like, wait, what? Who are all these moving parts, and why? Are, what are their motivations? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make a ton of sense that Burnside is also in the KKK. No, but is completely honest with Magnum about the witness protection thing. The only justification I th- could think for that is if you need to tell, it's actually way easier to tell people the truth, and if you just put a little nugget of a lie in there. But why has he just been like making life kind of crappy for Floyd for 10 years 
and only now they're going to take him back. I know. Ten years, by the way, that's a hell of a grudge. I mean, it's the KKK. I think they hold grudges. I didn't know that that was something they were known for. It's like backseat to the bunch of other stuff they're known for. Yeah, I thought this episode was fine, but not outstanding. It was not as cleverly written as previous episodes have been. The next episode is called Adelaide. Is it set in Australia? Australia. It is not set in Australia, no. Oh, okay. I'm a little less excited. No, there's a character named Adelaide. Adelaide Malone. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what to expect, but I look forward to it. Until next time, because that is indeed it for this episode of the Magnum Rewatch. Our ability to do the Magnum Rewatch is brought to you by you as supporters of our Patreon at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun, which of course supports far more than the Magnum Rewatch podcast. It supports all of the fine comedic work we do online, but we really value your support for letting us do this because it's, it's a lot of fun. Tell your friends. I mean, you can tell your friends a lot of things. We'd appreciate it if you would tell them specifically about the oh, podcast. Oh, yeah. I don't want to like control it. what you tell your friends. And you, you can, can talk give them to your like friends a good about whatever recipe, you want. Yeah. What you did on the weekend, a new drink you're enjoying. Tell your friends that they look nice today. Yeah, you should. And do that. then tell them about this podcast. Oh, that's even better. That's a yeah. good plan. Mix in a little bit of a lie with a big truth. <laughs> yeah, Graham, you look great today. Thanks. <laughs> Zeus, Apollo, deliver these podcasts. Hold them gently in your mouth so as not to crush the podcasts. And go quick so they don't get soggy. Yeah. Oh, God, soggy podcast. Okay, Graham, for our sign-off, I have a new suggestion. Okay. <clears throat> we change it from Magnum Rewatch to Mucus Rewatch to celebrate my mucusy stature. But that will last maybe only for this episode? Well, I mean, I might give you this cold back. We're in the same office right now. It can could be transmitted. Can we not just trade the cold back and forth forever, please? This has been the Mucus Rewatch podcast. I guess it doesn't roll off the tongue as easily, does it? Uh, depends on how <laughs> thick the mucus is. Uh, okay, that's gross. Bye. <laughs>